to At the Threshold, a podcast for ministry leaders during this new, unsettled season in the life of the church. We are your hosts, Ashley Alley Crawford and Shelley Petz. We're both clergy in the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, which is comprised of approximately a thousand churches in the states of Kansas and Nebraska. Shelley works with Clergy Faith and Wellness with the Great Plains Conference. And Ashley is the Clergy Recruitment and Development Coordinator, and we're sharing this from the Office of Clergy Excellence. Our focus here in At the Threshold is to host a conversation with and for clergy in order to describe what's happening, ask questions to help get us unstuck, and encourage the heart of pastors and leaders in this liminal time in which we find ourselves. Liminal may be a new word, but a new season calls for a new word. Liminal means a threshold from what we've always known to, well, we don't know just yet what life and ministry is becoming. Our goal here is to find a little light at the threshold. everyone joining today for this important conversation. I am Shelly Petz, and usually Ashley Alley Crawford joins with us as well, but she is unable to be here today. Ashley and I are both clergy in the Great Plains, and we offer this series of conversations out of the Office of Clergy Excellence of the Great Plains. We began this to navigate our new coronavirus-influenced realities. In our conversations, we are seeking to describe some of the dynamics that we are seeing and identify questions and possibilities that are bubbling up for each of us. Ultimately, we hope that you leave today with your heart encouraged in some way. Every time that we gather, it is our hope that you will glean a thing or two, you will be able to act upon what you are hearing or pray through what you are experiencing. Our topic today is material poverty in the midst of a pandemic. There are certainly different types of poverty. There's poverty of the spirit, poverty of love, poverty of material resources. Our topic today invites us to dig beneath the surface of what we are experiencing in the midst of material resources poverty in this season of economic and health insecurity. We want to begin by saying that we want to be careful and not to perpetuate stereotypes of those experiencing material poverty and recognize that this is a season in which those of little financial insulation are likely finding themselves in circumstances in which they never expected to find themselves. Material poverty in the midst of a pandemic is real. Many of you are seeing that in your areas of ministry. And those who are experiencing it are our neighbors. They are our family and friends. They're our church, our community. They are us. I visited with a leader of a service agency in my own community recently to get a sense of what they are seeing of those in most need. 
And I wonder if it may be similar to what is being experienced in some of your communities as well. Since May, the service agency's caseload has tripled. They've had people in their system that they have never seen before. They are individuals who have no idea who to talk to or where to turn. Just last week in one community, there were three individuals who came in in tears because they didn't know how to pay for the school enrollment for their child, to pay for technology fees, enrollment fees, things that they have never worried about before. They don't have money for food, for electric bill, for rent. People are hungry, exhausted, and in the midst of crisis. It invites me to think deeply about what is possible both to meet immediate needs and long-term systemic needs. We are people of faith, living out our faith by loving God and loving others. Many of you are on the front lines of serving those in need. I am grateful that you have joined us and I'm grateful for this conversation and for the wisdom and experience of our panelists. Together, may we shed a little light on what is before us in the midst of this crisis. We are privileged today to have two people join us who are able to speak into these circumstances that we are describing in this season. Reverend Dr. Kabbalah Chali has served as the Mercy and Justice Coordinator for the Great Plains Conference since 2014. He has served churches in Texas and Missouri and ministered and studied in communities around the world. He is truly a citizen of the global community. He recently completed a doctorate in intercultural studies, and we are so grateful for his leadership with us. Reverend Marcy Bender is the newly appointed coordinator of mission and outreach and social justice ministries for the Missouri River District in the Great Plains, based in Omaha. Prior to that, she served as the director of Wesley House and associate pastor in Pittsburgh, Kansas. We are so grateful that Marcy is joining us. To both of you, we offer our deepest appreciation for your wisdom and experience and leadership today. We'd like to ask each of you to tell us something that didn't show up in your introduction and maybe one thing that you have observed personally in the last five months. Charlie, we'll begin with you. Thank you, Shelly, uh, and Ashley and Heather for uh, having us and then uh, inviting me uh, to this conversation. Well, I think uh, <laughs> there is always a lot to say when you're a preacher, but uh, let me just say, uh, oftentimes as human beings, when we are faced a tragedy or crisis, uh, the default is that is panic. The, the default is uh, uh, blaming each other, uh, pointing fingers. But th th there is a Chinese idiom or proverb, if you want to call it, that says, crisis prevents, uh, presents both danger, but also opportunities. And I have seen how churches, uh, have taken this pandemic crisis uh, uh, to be with people that they probably would not have been with uh, in ministries with, but also use the pandemic uh, as an opportunity to fix some brokenness in our systems, in our communities. And so I will just say, 
you know, while we defaulted to this is overwhelming, this is a crisis, let's remember the pandemic is giving us churches and communities opportunities to reverse course and uh, address things that are way overdue that we should have addressed in our communities. So I will just offer that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Charlie. Marcy, what do you have to offer us about either yourself and or something you've been noticing over these last few months? So I want to echo Charlie in saying thank you for this opportunity to speak today about the issues of poverty. You know, I think the things that we need to realize, and I, I will not speak as eloquently as Charlie does, uh, but here, here's what we have to remember. People are hurting in new ways. And we, because of the pandemic, we meaning the church, um, needs to figure out new ways to minister to others. And so the best way to do that is with relationships and listening to each other. So I think this has provided us an extraordinary opportunity to really take the time to listen to the needs. Yes, folks are hungry. Um, yes, folks are having a hard time meeting their most basic needs, but but what, where are the feelings coming from? You know, we just really need to listen to our, to each other, to our neighbors. Um, and to remember that now more than any time ever, that poverty can almost be silent because there's so many people that have never faced this before and don't know what to do. And I think that is really important for churches to remember. Thank you so much. So I ask the both of you, what do churches need to know about how the pandemic has strained life even more for those living in poverty? What can churches do to care for those in the most need? What light can you shed on day-to-day, -day, everyday life for those who are materially poor? Charlie? Uh, thank you. I, <clears throat> I, I should first say uh, it's, it's a very important uh, distinction, Shelley, that you've used in your introduction that, you know, sometimes I hear people just toss the word, the poor, the poor, uh, as to suggest like uh, being poor is your condition, is your status. Uh, uh, poverty is a, is a situation that is a social situation that uh, is temporary and can be addressed. It's not, uh, it, it's not impossible to address poverty. It's, it's something that can be addressed. Uh, so that's a very important thing. The other thing I would want to mention up front is that uh, 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 Wusto Gonzalez, who is a, a Cuban-American uh, theologian in our church and has um, uh, challenged me uh, through his writing, uh, uh, particularly in the area of poverty. He says, oftentimes those of us speak on behalf of the poor or those living in poverty, uh, we actually do not have the, the experience of what it means to experience poverty. And so he cautions us 
to not jump into like the Bible says this about the poverty. This Bible says this about the poor. He frames it this way and he suggests we change the question and ask instead, what do the poor find in the Bible that will be good news for us? I think for me, that acknowledges that those living in materially pover, uh, material poverty, they are not, uh, they know how to change that. Uh, they are not objects. They are participant and they have experiences, they have knowledge to reverse course. And so what can the church do? The church need to work with the, the uh, material poor, not for them. We don't need to work for them. We don't need to serve them. We need to work and serve with them. I will also say COVID, uh, you know, the pinpointing finger, who is, the, who is to blame? COVID did not create uh, a group among us to be poor. Uh, COVID uh, has come to reveal what we have uh, un, uh, willingly not wish to address for a long time. Uh, COVID did not uh, create people to uh, working people, you know, you know, people who are living uh, low working uh, uh, jobs. Now we, we come up with a fancy word to describe them as essential worker, you know, and, and we feel good about that and yet, we are not addressing the issue that, you know, for instance, in Kansas, Kansas is the lowest uh, minimum wage in this nation. And, and so it's not about people who are not working, you know, we, you know the, the stereotype is like people are poor because they are lazy. Uh, the, the, the majority of those living in poverty, they work two jobs and have uh, children and they're trying to, and, and, and sometimes they have to make a decision. Do I go to the hospital to get tested or do I keep the money to feed those uh, in, in the house? So churches who are at the forefront of this need to remember we need to work with those in uh, living in poverty. And often, oftentimes they may even know the solutions to the problem. So we shouldn't think they don't know anything. So that will be my, my comment to that. Thank you so much, Charlie. Marcy, we turn to you. I think not only, as Charlie said, that the church needs to work with those who are living in poverty. I think that the churches really need to know what's going on in their neighborhood. So that, you know, they need to know what the minimum wage is. They need to know, you know, what are the employment rates? They need to know what the effect COVID is having on folks who are unemployed, um, whether or not they are receiving unemployment, um, how much is that? Uh, is it sustainable for their family? Like these are questions that we, that I think the church has a responsibility to either ask or find out. And then when we can't get those answers, we need to start to dig deeper and once we gather that information, if that information is not correct, for example, I have a friend right now who is in California who is expected to live on $167 a month. 
She is a cosmetologist. She is cutting hair or $167 a week. I'm sorry. Um, her rent is $1,200. Well, so folks are saying to her, well, why doesn't she move somewhere where it's closer or where it's more affordable to live? Well, that takes money. So, you know, we, we can't, we can't have answers to questions if our social location um, is that of middle-class America. Um, we, we have to know what's going on. We have to know the issues. And then those very issues, the church needs to use their social capital to challenge the system. As Charlie said, the poor did not cause their situation. Their, the, the systems that are in place are such that continue to suppress people. And then you throw on an, a, a pandemic until folks are trying to survive. So not only are they making choices of whether or not to get tested or to use the money for food, they're also making the decision, do I work or do I leave my children at home, my young children at home? Um, if I leave my young children at home, how are they going to eat all day? Um, if I'm going to leave them at home, how are they going to eat all day? But more importantly, how are they going to cook the food that's in my cupboard? Um, so these are all questions that we need to be asking our folks. We need to have relationships. I, I will, you know, if we could write something on my tombstone, it would be, it's all about relationships because I think it's so important that we talk to the folks that are living in these situations and then realize our part of upholding that situation because we all have a part in it. Thank you so much. You have both brought up some ideas um, for us to explore. And I'm wondering if we could take, take what you said and take the next step of, of how do we make this tangible? What are some tangible acts um, in terms of building these relationships, in terms of uh, addressing uh, community concerns, in terms of getting in there? What are some tangible ways that we can seek justice as churches to, to walk beside our neighbors? I mean, encourage, call your legislators, encourage them to um, support the next stimulus package. I mean, uh, figure out um, if folks aren't getting, you know, equitable uh, unemployment, call your legislators. If you don't know who your legislators are, I guarantee you there are people at your helping agencies that probably know who those folks are. Um, call me, I will figure it out for you. You know, look at the data, data speaks. Um, and if the data, you know, I think we always should have the curiosity of a child. You know, why are those numbers that? Why, um, why, does, why does poverty look like that in um, a particular county? Uh, I, you know, reading, I think there are some great books um, right now. Uh, Sarah Smarsh's book, uh, uh, Heartland, it has to do with poverty in Wichita. Um, great resource, highly encourage folks to read it. It's very smart. Um, smartly written. Um, I think that, you know, um, pay attention to our social principles. What is the church about? Who do we say that we are? 
Um, and I think that there are also some really great documentaries that talk about um, poverty and what it is to live in this minimum wage world. And so um, I will get those resources, more of those resources to you um, that will be linked. And so y'all can uh, enjoy those. And I hope that they really, um, you can glean information that will help the folks that you are serving. So thank you, uh, um, Marcy, that uh, you pinpoint um, some very tangible things uh, for people. Let me also just uh, tag along to say, so uh, th there, is, there is this uh, assumption, unfounded assumption that people uh, who are contracting the uh, coronavirus, uh, uh, somehow it's by being black or by being Latinx, uh, that's the reason, like there is nothing, related to your race that the, the virus can uh, kill those, those people they can contract. It's, it's the same thing. These are the people who are working in what now we are kind of uh, cleaning the word to make it look nice, essential workers. So for instance, in Nebraska and in Kansas, many of our immigrant communities, they are the ones, the majority working in meat packing companies. Uh, so, and you have heard throughout the United States, uh, mostly in Nebraska and in Kansas, or even in the Dakotas, there were some hotspots, some outbreaks of coronavirus in meatpacking companies. So uh, there've been some call in particularly Nebraska to rally around and uh, advocate on behalf of workers. So they have uh, protective equipment. They want to work. They want to go to work. They know if you don't work, their children will not have food. Uh, so they want they want to go to work, not just to be forced to work. They want to go to work, and they need equipment so we can join the the, the, the voices of others to say they need protective equipment. The other thing I will say is that uh, people who may lose their job and lose their health care uh, insurance, uh, health insurance, uh, that's, that's where people begin to have this decision. Do I even need to be tested, to have checked, to, to go for a checkup, or do I just save the money I have for food? Uh, or, you know, people getting evicted from, you know, housing or apartment. Uh, so the, the, all these things are somehow correlated. So we, as a churches, uh, we can do the short-term individual relief, but we should think about how we can work collaboratively with others, because to bring about a change, for instance, in Kansas, if you're working two jobs at a grocery store and you are being paid uh, $7, uh, and you have three or four kids, that's gonna be hard. And when you lose that job and to try to uh, ensure that you have access to uh, healthcare, those are tough decisions to make. So 
why not you know we all pride ourselves in we want the people to get back to work we want you know i care so much about my community i want people to work but why not demand that minimum wage in kansas nebraska is even higher than kansas nine dollars in nebraska but why not require uh, demand that minimum wage be increased because we value work and these workers, we're calling them now essential workers. Uh, we should advocate for them so they can work. Uh, and the last thing I will say, Nebraska has done this, and they're still figuring it out, uh, expansion of Medicaid. Uh, do, do we want people to feel like, I mean, healthcare should be a human right. I remember personally when I lived in Missouri before the changes of the, uh, affordable health care. My wife, uh, you know, I'd started school then, you know, my doctoral studies and went part-time at a church in Missouri and the Missouri conference, if you were working 30 hours or less, you did not, you know, qualify for the conference provided. So I wanted to buy my own insurance and, and I tried and I was told because my wife was pregnant, we did have pre-existing condition and I could not I could not buy healthcare. I mean, I mean health insurance. And I caution us if we don't rally to demand that health care be provided for all, particularly those who are at the bottom of society. Those we are calling now essential workers, uh, people will all, will beat COVID, then they will have some side effect or the, some long disease, and they cannot buy health insurance again because of, you know, I hear rhetoric about, you know, uh, people who were, you know, protected under the affordable care. Now, if you have pre-existing condition, imagine in the pandemic, how many people will have pre-existing condition and cannot afford to have uh, uh, health insurance for them and for their families. So those are some tangible, I know we are all doing the relief but I, 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 relief is very temporary, uh, is, is, is very short and is individual level, but let's think about some collaborative and collective way we can impact uh, the support for our communities and our people. Well, and I, you know, think about it. If you're working, you know, I think this is when we make things real. If you're making $9 an hour, and if you are lucky to work 40 hours a week, a lot of companies don't do that because then that means health insurance. That's $360 a week. You take that by a month, that's $1,440. The average rent in some areas, $900. So that's $440 left over for food, utilities, gas, clothing, what have you. That is not enough money to have a good quality life with healthcare, affordable housing, and nutritious food. So when you start thinking about the reality of it and not just, I, I think mercy missions are absolutely vital because we have to be able to move people from a hunting mind frame of survival to a sustainable mind frame. 
But until you can get to that sustainable, real work, it's hard to do the real work to come alongside people when they're hungry. Being hungry is a basic, I mean, food is a basic need. We have to have food to survive. So there is a place for mission, absolutely. But this justice piece saying $9 is not okay. Um, considering pregnancy to be a pre-existing condition is not okay. Um, people having um, holes in their roof or um, in their floors or what have you is not okay. Um, I, I think those are things that we really, really have to think about. Thank you both so much for taking us deeper into the understanding of what this means. I'm wondering if you can also help us understand, um, some of us may have an understanding of what's happening in our local communities. Can you help us see what is uh, the pandemic and poverty look like in local, in national, and in global ways uh, to help us understand and get a bigger picture of what, what we need to know and understand? Well, so uh, thank you again. Uh, I will go back to one uh, piece of uh, uh, comment I said earlier that, um, you know, it's easy to say, oh, the uh, COVID-19 is causing all this. Uh, COVID-19 has made it worse. But we also need to remember that these issues are wealth inequality and the way we engage with each other, the greed and the policies that we have several of us have not questioned. For instance, the way countries to countries work, the exploitation that happens in foreign policies that uh, uh, most of us just keep quiet and never said anything. Those things, uh, COVID has now come to expose how these things that uh, sometimes leaders close their eyes on. And uh, the, the, the really sad part of this is that COVID has affected the most who are at the lowest in uh, uh, our societies. Whether it's in the United States, whether it's in the country like Kenya, whether it's in a country like Iran, it's the people at the bottom of society, the people Jesus will say, will call the least, uh, uh, the people I call that they are, they are in the periphery of society, that are the people with no voice. And, 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 and so that's what this COVID-19 is, uh, has come to expose our societies particularly for our, our, those of us who call ourselves Christians, because it's very clear in the biblical narrative that we are called to the least. And Jesus says, it's when we do it to the least of these that we have done it for him or to him. So it, it, it's important that the church should not look at this just as a crisis, but an opportunity to, uh, 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 to change the course of society. Uh, we should be involved, like, what is a compassionate way for us to engage, for instance, in the immigration debate? Knowing that we are, we are ministering, uh, I, I see a lot of our churches 
We travel, we go, I take teams on missions. People go to Latin American countries, they go to Haiti, they go to, and those people from those countries are already in our neighborhood. And we don't even know that they are there or we, if, uh, if we do know, we look at them as we don't want them to be here. And, and, and that's not the Christian, uh, that's not the Christian living uh, or kingdom message for us. So, but COVID more than anything, it is, it, it is exposing where Christianity around the world and in this country, we have just uh, fallen aside and behave like the politicians we have failed to rise above political divides and offer people hope in a time where people are so divided, people are so fighting. And in those fights and divisions, those living in poverty are dying. They are dying and we are thinking of them as numbers and projects. And we are not thinking of them as human beings, beloved children of God. Thank you. Marcy, anything to add? <sighs> so I, I will do a shameless plug for St. Paul School of Theology. Um, I'm working on my doctorate um, right now. Um, and the emphasis is prophetic witness in unsettled times. I think that's the title of it. And so how I interpret that is to look at um, economic justice, but then to take it a step further and to think about distributive justice. So when we don't read the Bible, oh gosh, this is probably going to get me in uh, some... Uh, water. But if we don't read the bottle, the Bible with the lens of Jesus being a radical force, then we've lost the very essence of who Jesus was. Because if you read the Bible, especially when Jesus went into the temple and turned over the tables and asked the folks, like, what the heck are you doing? Like, this is not what I'm talking about. Um, he, that was a radical act of calling people out to what was wrong. It was revolutionary. Um, ultimately cost his life. So when we look at Jesus saying, no, I don't think y'all should be acting in the ways that Caesar wants you to act, then we've got to think about that. And what that translates to in modern day is saying, it's, there is a huge difference between treating people equally and treating people with equity. Giving people all the same and giving people what they need, equity, giving people what they need. 
Um, and, and I think that's what churches need to think about is that we, Jesus wanted folks to, when we pray the Lord's prayer, when we pray, bring heaven to earth, we pray that for a very particular reason. Um, and I think that we need to think about all of the reasons or all of the ways that we have gotten to where we are today. And then how we also have to take responsibility that every decision that I make affects a whole lot of folks. Um, I just watched a documentary, a docu-series called Rotten. Um, when I decide to buy an avocado, for example, um, or chicken, I'm affecting a whole lot of folks in Brazil and in Mexico and even in California. So my decision has a cost to it, which affects someone else. And we can't ignore that. We've ignored that for too long. And so it's this, it's not the, the Robin Hood effect of, you know, giving, stealing from the rich and giving to the poor. It's making sure that everybody has what they need to have the best life possible. That's why Jesus turned over the tables because they were doing something that they should not have been doing that were affecting those who were vulnerable. And we continue to do it 2000 years later. Um, we need to think about what we're doing. We want to continue to take um, this conversation that you've so already blessed us with and see um, a, a little bit deeper. You have already um, given us so much to think about. So I'm wondering, can you take us a little bit more? You've already shared that um, that COVID is just ex exposing things that were already there in terms of, of uh, poverty that was already there, injustices that were already there. How have you seen that lived out even more drastically in these past few months? The, the disparity between the rich and the poor, the, the injustices that are there, how have you seen that um, lived out so clearly in these last few months? Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, it, it's interesting to me uh, in these past few months uh, where, um, you know, my wife and I, we've both uh, have had the opportunity to work from home. And then we know friends of ours, that was not an option for them. Uh, uh, and even uh, people in our churches that we've, uh, we've uh, been in ministry with, so that's one, but we have also seen how, um, you know, some families uh, uh, with, much, uh, with many uh, children, uh, how they've had to navigate through just buying things uh, for kids, uh, food, uh, uh, in a way that they don't need to go to the store every other day or every week, or, you know, some people will typically go to the store every two weeks because when they get paid and they go, 
so those those realities for me uh, uh, they've come to hit at the core for my belief as a Christian person um, that the while we are all affected by COVID, COVID is not, uh, it, it, uh, someone said, I saw in Facebook a while back that COVID is like we're in a boat, uh, we're in this uh, uh, storm together, but we are not all being affected by the storm the same way. Because some can go to the store and buy food for two months and they minimize their exposure, while others, they don't have the cash flow to buy food for two months, which they would prefer to also do, so that they minimize how much uh, exposure, how much, uh, how, how often they get out, and how often they, they get out with kids. And then there are people, like single parents, who, uh, they, they have the even more challenging reality that, you know, do we, they don't have the money to leave their kids in uh, daycare or, you know, uh, childcare. And so you have these big decisions. Uh, you, you have been working two jobs, you have a couple of kids, now they're at home, uh, like what are the choices? And, 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 and those are the realities. And I think the church should know those stories because if we are not getting those stories and those stories, not only we need to know about the stories, they need to shape the way we engage in ministry. Uh, those stories should shape and inform the way we are responding to Jesus call in our own communities where we are planted. So what I am hearing from our district is that there's just more need for um, children-friendly food. Um, so an increase because kiddos are at home. So I ordered my groceries online yesterday because I, I have the ability to do that. A pound of lunch meat was $9.99. Now, if I am bringing home the $9 an hour um, and I have two or more children at home, a pound of lunch meat is not a best use for my resources. So I'm gonna buy something that's really cheap, um, more inexpensive. Okay, so think about the cycle. And I think this is where we, we forget to look at the total packet, the total picture. We'll use beef in a, as an example. Beef is, I mean, the prices are crazy right now. Okay, but beef provides iron and all these things that, all these um, nutrients that kiddos need, that humans need. And so I'm going to buy less quality beef. So it's going to be higher in fat and what have you. All right. If I eat that over a sustainable amount of time, I am going to have heart disease. I am going to more than likely be overweight or obese. Well, I'm still in poverty, so I can't afford health care. 
And so now I can't afford healthcare. I'm eating crappy food. I can't change the way that I'm eating because I am working lower wage jobs. Um, I don't have access to healthcare. Um, then what happens if, I mean, heaven forbid, they have a health crisis and now they cannot work and all of a sudden have to wait for disability and then live on minimum disability because they've been a low wage worker their entire life. So 600 to $700 a month, that opens up a whole other mess for those folks to navigate. So we have to think about like the total package when we think about um, what's happening in our neighborhoods. You know, kiddos are being forced to make food that they can cook in the microwave. Well, what, what does that look like? That looks like mac and cheese and SpaghettiOs and ramen noodles. And um, you could eat your weight in ramen noodles and never be full. Um, that, I mean, that's just, that's just the way that it is. And so um, what does that look like? You know, and so, um, and, and there's this, you know, increase of child safety. And so if mom can't work, then child is either left at home or child is left with um, a relative or someone they may not know. And now all of a sudden that child is in danger for all kinds of things. Um, uh, we're seeing, you know, crisis of, um, mental health because folks do not know how to be at home all day long because that is not how Western society is structured. Um, suicide is higher. Domestic violence is higher. I mean, all of these poverty is not a I'm hungry issue. It's this complex issue of all of these items that we really have to think about um, and we're seeing them. We're seeing them in our district. Um, I know that there's a mental health uh, facility uh, in Omaha that has a waiting list, a substantial waiting list of folks that need mental health care. Um, you know, all those things matter when we're trying to live a, a good life um and that that's sad to me it, it's sad that somebody needs help and they cannot get it so i'm wondering and this might take us into when we gather back with the group as well i'm wondering what word of pastoral or prophetic encouragement you can offer us and as uh, i'll offer that now and then we can uh, maybe talk about that as we get back onto the to the group with the pastors um, and laity, but, but what word of pastoral encouragement or possibility um, can you offer to us in this prophetic time? So I will say the last six years, um, being the executive director of Wesley House, in all the people that we served, so roughly 11,000 folks a year came through our doors. One commonality between all of my folks whether in poverty or homeless or what have you, they had an unbelievable amount of hope. And I think that's what 
we as a church have to have, we have to have hope that our neighbor is going to have fresh eyes to see the other. Um, and that when you, when you claim yourself as a child of God, how can you not claim everyone in your neighborhood? Let's make it personal. Everybody in your neighborhood as a child of God as well. And if that's the case, then what does your neighbor need? And your neighbor gets helped before you get helped. That's who Jesus was. And Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them. Not I'm going to feed them. You feed them. Um, we can be fed in, in a in a lot of different ways. Um, and we need to put our feet into action. We'll invite, if any of you do have a question that you would like to um, uh, ask to the panelists, you're invited to put that into the chat box and we can um, address those either to the whole group or if you want to send it to me privately or to one of the presenters, you're welcome to do that. And, and we can um, get to those questions. And as you're working on putting those questions together, uh, the final uh, question that we just um, had um, for our presenters was what word of encouragement or prophetic voice do you have for clergy and churches? Marcy has shared, and you can go and listen to the recording later if you want to hear hers. And then I'll ask Charlie, do you have a word of encouragement or prophetic voice as well? Yes. So I will, uh, uh, the biblical text is very rich. Uh, but uh, I see Mari Bogus there. Uh, one of my favorite one is Micah 6, 8. And the scripture says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? We have talked about ways to seek justice. All right, there is a sign right there for you. Um, <laughs> so we've talked about um, ways to do justice. I just wanna remind us that when we do uh, this work from a Christian perspective, we have a rich tradition in the, uh, in the scripture that it gives us some roadmap. Justice, if you go from the Hebrew context, uh, mishpat, is about uh, how we take action to order society. What's the way we order society in ways that is equitable? But what about loving kindness? We are not, the, we are not to be uh, people who... Uh, uh, fight, uh, uh, be violent, but we are people who are called to have an attitude of kindness, of loving others. That's the work we are called to do. And lastly, from Micah 6, 8, it says, walk humbly with your God. In other words, we should be giving the world, the politicians, and all those around us a different way of walking with God. It's not to be, to show, uh, you know, Paul says, 
uh, in Corinthians, God is reminding Paul that my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So uh, uh, in scripture, to be humble is a sign of strength and we should offer that to the world. Thank you so much. Just wanna offer a few things. We will, um, I'm beginning to have some resources come in um, on the uh, uh, information to me. And so we will post these um, along with um, this, a recording of this on the Great Plains website so that people can resource that. Um, and um, not only you, but others will be able to have access to that information, which will be a great help. Want to mention that there are, are different grants that are available that are being posted um, by some of you. Thank you for letting us know about these grants that are being available um, through uh, Church and Society um, due on September 4th, as well as through the United Methodist Health Ministry Fund um, in Hutchinson, Kansas, is offering grants for local churches to use toward COVID-19 projects. And so invite you to check those out um, and see what is possible for your churches, for your communities um, to really make um, a difference going forward. Some of the other resources that have been mentioned will be um, linked on our episode page. And we are so grateful that we will have these available for us. Indeed, we have been gifted by your presence and by the work of our panelists today to help us shed light on to what we are experiencing. And we cannot thank you enough for this conversation and we hope that it does not end here. We hope that you will take what you have um, experienced and um, make a difference in your corner of the world. We want to mention that coming up at our next conversation on Thursday, August 27th at 1030 in the morning, we'll be having a conversation with two retired Great Plains clergy about discerning spiritual direction in a season of uncertainty. These clergy um, are spiritual directors themselves, Reverend Dr. Connie Wilson and Reverend Stephen Griffin. They'll be sharing about some of the gifts of spiritual direction during this season and describe ways that we can practice and help lead others to practice these opportunities that will root us and help us discern God's presence in this liminal season. If you'd like to register for this or find other resources, you can go to greatplainsumc.org slash at dash the dash threshold. As we close our time here together today, I want to share this closing reflection. One key element for considering material poverty is us to remember as we have been reminded today that poverty isn't just about those people over there. It's about our neighbors, literally and figuratively, who are navigating this season full of great challenges as we grow in our understanding of community we grow in our capacity to tangibly love one another. COVID-19 has exposed things that were already there. And as we have been reminded, we now have the opportunity to respond in ways that we may have never imagined before. And may we take this opportunity. In his book, Bread for the Journey, Henry Nouwen says it like this. 
Community is the fruit of our capacity to make the interests of others more important than our own. Community is first of all a quality of the heart. It grows from the spiritual knowledge that we are alive not for ourselves, but for one another. We thank you for joining with us in this conversation today. We hope that you've been able to see a new reality a bit clearer, ask great questions, and been encouraged for your journey. And we hope that you are finding some light at the threshold. May God be with you. in this series about ministry in liminal time. You can find links to join future conversations at greatplainsumc.org slash clergy resources or listen to them as a podcast at greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. This is a challenging season full of confusion and uncertainty and we want to shed a little light to help you discern the way through. Thank you for joining us at The Threshold.